Good morning. It is so great to uh, have you with us today. It's great to be here today after having missed last week. And the week prior to that, my wife Beth and I were out of town. Our daughter Anna had a little baby girl. I want to just share you a couple seconds of our special joy. Our daughter Anna and her husband Brian have a two-year-old boy. And so uh, Beth uh, stayed there 10 days, and I uh, flew back on uh, December 2nd. So it is certainly good to be back with you guys here today. And I want to give a little heads up to those of you who um, may be traveling over the Christmas holidays. My wife stayed in Chattanooga for 10 days, and I, as I mentioned, flew back that same weekend. And there are no direct flights to Greensboro from uh, Chattanooga. you got to go either through Charlotte or Atlanta. So I went through the Atlanta airport. And I know some of you will be traveling. A number of you will be flying in the next week or so. And some will have connecting flights through Atlanta. I just want to give you a bit of a warning, a bit of a heads up about the security there. It's incredibly tight. And they have one particular TSA agent who is uniquely skilled and gifted at discovering contraband, particularly food products that you might put in your luggage. Now, this, this uh, agent uh, is named Hardy. And Hardy is actually only six years old. And Hardy walks on all fours. And he is a rescue beagle. And he is incredibly, oh, yes, you, you, some of you love beagles. I do, too. I, I think they're cute, too. Well, you'll see Hardy's picture on the screen. He discovered this. This is a true story. In a man's luggage, this is true. I'm not making this up. This was October the 11th, report in World Magazine. Hardy sniffed out contraband in a man's luggage. And if you don't know this, it is illegal to bring pork products into the United, into the United States from outside. So... I just wanted to give you a little bit of a heads up if you're taking Christmas food with you and you're flying through the airport. Um, don't even try to take a stick of beef jerky. Hardy's, Hardy's going to find it out. I hope they rewarded Hardy and let him have maybe an ear or two at least, something. Anyway, it is good to be back with you today after um, over two weeks away, and we're continuing our study of the early part of the Gospel of Luke. Pastor Andrew started us uh, in Luke chapter 1 on December the 2nd. And before we continue, I want to just try to put the whole uh, Advent uh, story in its context by reading a few verses from the very beginning of the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 1 and verse 1 reads, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. And thus, the Gospel of Luke is introduced to us. So the writer Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is intending to give an orderly account of the things that have happened. So we understand the Gospel of Luke to be an historical record, an accurate record of what God had done. But further, we understand this, that it is Scripture. And in the words of the Apostle Paul, 
all scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching us and for equipping us for righteousness. As the Apostle Paul wrote earlier, the things that were written beforehand were written for our instruction, that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And I stress that because when we read these Advent stories, these Christmas stories, and they're more than stories, they're records, they're accounts of what actually happened. When we read these, they're very heartwarming and they often bring a good feeling to us, but they're intended as inspired scripture to equip us to walk with God, to fulfill the good works that God has called us to do. And the Advent story shows us in a, in a most beautiful way how God used ordinary people to bring about a remarkable uh, part of his overall plan. And so we're going to look at that, uh, uh, at that plan briefly today as we look at this passage in Luke chapter 1 that Shawnee's read for us just a moment ago. Now the first thing I think we see happening in the whole Advent Christmas record is that God is designing and directing something. God's the designer and director of his plan, and he's the great orchestrator of something that he's chosen to bring about in the earth now in the fullness of time. And he's directing angels, he's directing people by his word. You think about it, God could have had Jesus come into the earth any way he wanted to. He could have come in great glory, escorted by angels as, as a full-grown man. But God chose to bring him as an infant baby in fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies that said, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And in bringing this about, God chose to use all kinds of different people. He used Mary. He used Joseph. He used Zechariah and Elizabeth, as, as we looked, uh, Pastor Andrew shared about two weeks ago. He used some shepherds. He used some magi. And in all of these cases, God is first speaking to people and directing them to do what he's called them to do. And because they obeyed what God said to do, they became part of this record. They became part of this plan. The thing I want to emphasize to you this morning is that God's plan is still unfolding. And each person who embraces Jesus as Lord, as Savior, has a role in that plan. Maybe you've never thought of yourself as having a role in the plan. Something Andrew said two weeks ago struck me. He said, you may have a supporting role in God's plan to make the main character look good. And the main character is Jesus. And each of us does have a supporting role in this plan of God to give him glory and to make his name great. And that's what we see happening. God's the designer and director of this plan, directing people by his word. God's plan, his great plan, is to make known and to make great the name of Jesus everywhere. We read this in verses 31 to 33. God said to Mary, through the angel Gabriel, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. The name Jesus is the name 
the angel told Joseph in a dream he should be called. It means uh, the Lord is salvation, the Lord who is salvation, or the Lord saves. You'll call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. God's plan from the beginning of the record of Scripture in Genesis to the end in the book of Revelation is to bring about his salvation through his chosen one, Jesus, and to make great and to make known the name of Jesus to all the peoples of the earth, to all the nations of the world. And you and I still have a role in that plan. Our roles are supporting roles. But each role is important. Now, Mary had a role that I think we, we could consider certainly unique. The angel said to Mary, Gabriel, the angel said, Don't be afraid, Mary. You've found favor with God. Behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son. You'll call his name Jesus. Mary, the Bible tells us, was at that time betrothed to a man named Joseph. Betrothal in biblical times was a legal pledge to marriage. It was stronger than an engagement would be today because it was a legal pledge to be married to someone. Bible commentators pretty much agree that Mary was just a teenager at this time. That would have been the typical age for her betrothal. And certainly she was, as Scripture tells us, a virgin. So she's playing a unique role. The Holy Spirit is going to bring about the conception of Christ in her womb. And no one else is going to duplicate Mary's role, but we each do have a role. Joseph had a unique role. Zachariah and Elizabeth, we talked about two weeks ago, had unique roles. The Magi had a role. The shepherds had a role. And if you're a follower of Jesus, the Bible says of you that you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, that God has prepared in advance for you to walk in. I don't know if you've ever thought about your role much, but you have one. It is really important to understand, if you're a Christian, that you have a unique God-designed role to fulfill. It'll give you greater hope in life. It'll give you a greater sense of purpose in life. And more importantly, it'll help you obey God. When traveling not too long ago, I got into a conversation with a man that went on for about 30 minutes. And it quickly became clear to me he was a Christian. And not only was he a Christian, but he was a strong believer. He had strong faith in God. He knew the Scripture well. And he understood prayer. He was a man who uh, had prayed much in his life. He'd prayed for other people. He'd shared the message of the gospel with other people. So I think of him as a, as a pretty learned, pretty mature Christian. But as we talked, he began to share how events in his life had kind of uh, come together to create a, a sense of despair. And this happens to Christians. Sometimes when things converge, it may be health issues, marital issues, financial issues, job-related things, relational things. Sometimes when, when things converge uh, like that, bad things, we tend to pull back from 
fellowship with other Christians from church and pull back from studying the Bible. And that's what had happened to this man. And he had become so low in his despair that he confided to me that he had for some weeks been contemplating ending his life. Christians get to that point sometimes. Now, I asked him a few questions. He'd been seeing a doctor. He had been getting medication and all those things. But he still felt that his life had no purpose. And so before we parted, I had the chance to pray with him and pray for him. And sometimes when you pray, the Holy Spirit will lead you to pray words that maybe you hadn't planned to, to pray. And I found myself praying about this man's particular role in life, his God-given role, that the Lord would awaken that within him and uh, bring revitalization to that, that vision, that understanding that he had a role and purpose. It is important if you're a follower of Jesus Christ to know that God has said, and I'll quote it again, it's found in Ephesians 2 and verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. One of the things the Advent Christmas story teaches us is that God has chosen to use people in the unfolding of his plan. People who will respond to his word will take the steps of faith that they're called to take. And we see that certainly with Mary, with Joseph, with others. Now Mary's question when told by the angel Gabriel about her unique role uh, was, was evident. You know, how can this be? Um, I'm a virgin. And we see that the Holy Spirit would equip her for this role. Mary says, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Well, that's Mary. Obviously, the Holy Spirit was working in a very special way in her. But do you know what? If you are a Christian, Jesus has said that he's given his Holy Spirit to you for a special purpose. In the book of Acts, in verse, chapter 1 and verse 8, well, let me first say this. Here's what Jesus said to his followers before he ascended into heaven out of, after his resurrection. He said, Behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And then he says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. For all of his people, all time, he gives this promise of the Holy Spirit whose power will enable you to fulfill your role, whose power will equip you to be his witness, his ambassador. There are people that you can touch and reach in your life that no one else could reach as effectively. Friends at your school, people in your family, people in your neighborhood, people you work with. Every follower of Jesus has a platform somewhere where Jesus has called you to be his representative. And just like in the Advent story, God chose to use people to bring about something great, so is the case today. 
He's using people who will say yes to him to bring about something great. Our part then is to respond to God's word with humility, faith, and obedience. Mary, to me, as I read about her role in God's story, is, is the epitome of humility. And it's remarkable to think of a woman who, in all likelihood, was just a teenager, who is con you know, confronted with this challenging word from God. You're going to be pregnant. You're not married yet, which in her culture could result in tremendous rejection maybe worse. But she knew God had spoken by his word, and she says, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. One simple verse, incredibly important for you and me. She is a model of how to respond to God's word, even when it is challenging to us. She says, essentially, I believe I'm the Lord's servant, and I submit to your word. And it's the same for you and me. Maybe you're a Christian. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus. And maybe you recognize when you read through the Bible that there are some things in your life that should not be, but you have justified those things. You've rationalized them. Maybe it's an uncontrolled temper. And you say, well, I've, I've always been angry. It's in my family. My dad had a terrible temper. My granddad had a terrible temper. It's just the way I'm wired. It's just the way I'm supposed to be. Or maybe you're justifying the fact that you live with the great love of money and are covetous without much compassion for the poor and hurting. Or maybe it's a driving lust that you are content just to live with. And yet you read the Bible and you see God says, no, these are not acceptable ways to live for a follower of Jesus. How do you respond? Well, you respond as Mary responded. I believe I'm the Lord's servant. I submit to your word. This is a pattern for those of us who are believers who want to fulfill the role that God has ordained for each of us in life. Regardless what you do, whether you're a nurse or a doctor, a PA treating patients, whether you run a business and and uh, manage employees and make products, whether you're a carpenter, a painter, an accountant, a teacher, you have a role, God-given role if you're a follower of Jesus, because the Bible says, by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God prepared in advance for us to walk in in. How do you walk in the works God's prepared for you? Part of it is relying on the Holy Spirit, who alone empowers us to do that, but part of it is the way we respond to God's Word. When confronted with His Word, <clears throat> when we read His Word, when we hear His Word, we say, I believe. I'm the Lord's servant. I submit to your Word. Now, for those who've never yet received Jesus, and you'd say, I'm not yet a Christian, not yet a believer, not yet his follower, God's not asking you to do 
anything whatsoever other than receive what he's already provided in Jesus. As the Bible says, it's not of works. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. This baby that would be born, Jesus, would fulfill prophecies of the great prophet Isaiah, who said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, meaning we've all sinned against God. But the Lord laid on him the iniquities of us all. Our iniquities were laid on Christ. See, Apostle Peter would later say, Christ died for all, once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. He took our place. He bore our sin. He bore our judgment that we could share as righteousness. And our, our response to that is to say, God, I believe and I receive. John the Apostle wrote to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And if you have not taken that step this Christmas season, that is the first thing. That's the most important thing. And then once you've embraced his saving work, live like Mary and say, Lord, I believe I'm your servant and I'll follow you by submitting to your word. Let's pray about that this morning. Father, pray that your Holy Spirit be at work among us this morning. And I pray for those of us here who maybe have settled for things in our lives that are at odds with your word. Would you bring the power of the Holy Spirit today in such a way that we would say, Lord, I only want to settle for what you say is good and right for my life. I want to walk in the path that you've prepared for me. I believe I'm the Lord's servant. I submit to your word. And Father, for, for those who have not yet received Jesus, would you give grace by the power of your spirit for those to say, Lord, I recognize my sin. And I believe that Jesus died to bring the remedy for my sin, to pay the price, to free me, and to bring me into an eternal relationship with you. Lord, I receive your salvation this day. Father, do these things we ask in the holy name of Jesus. Amen.